Welcome to Mud 79. I'm Fearless Fred Kennedy, the creator of this totally original and in no way authorized Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you're listening to this, you probably love Star Wars. I do too, and have always dreamed about telling my own story in a galaxy far, far away. A story that's less about the Jedi Temple and more about those who were on the front lines. A boots-on-the-ground story about how those living in the galaxy survive the horrors of war. That's what Mud79 is all about. If you're new to the show, welcome, but please be aware this is a series. So if you don't want to be totally lost, start from the beginning with episode one. You don't want to be a stormtrooper. This is episode 18. Lucky shots, kid. Captain Imbali continues to train fighters in the 20th Company's Terracassi team, and Corporal Husto puts on a terrifying display of his skill in the ring. Raw recruits arrive at the hotel, along with surveillance towers meant to assist with hunting down secessionist forces. After extensive training with the new gear and continual efforts to bring the fresh gray up to speed, the 79th embarks on its first tower mission. Will the recruits hold their own? Is the 79th about to get a taste of how deadly the enemy really is? And how effective will these towers be? Let's find out. I was scanning the collapsed mine entrance when Arkham hopped on the comms. Movement to the south. I dropped, slid up against a rock, primed my rifle, and watched three humanoids move in front of my scope. Didn't fire though, because it was the rest of the platoon, all eager to break out their shovels and dig in. And that's exactly what we did. A collection of dugouts with cami netting and tarps draped over top, rifle holes, duraweave sandbagging for the Z6s, and a command post set higher up on the hill that surveyed the area. Tower was up within 20 minutes. I popped some stims and took first watch up on the peak. That's where the scouts were going to be made sense, given our weapons could really change the pace of an encounter with the visibility we had up there. Also made us a juicy target, but can't win them all. I dragged Puenda along with me, tried to get in her head, find out more about her. I grew up on a freighter. My family were haulers. Freelancers. That means they ran a lot of shady shit. My folks got clipped by an Imperial inspection crew. All of us got hauled up on charges. My dad took labor, so did my mom, but a few of my in-laws and cousins who worked the ship with us, they signed on, so I did too. Smart choice. I took a drag on a stick and handed one to her. She took it and asked how I liked the gray so far. She was pretty frank about how uneasy she was on the surface. She liked being in ships and had tried to crew one of the countless freighters and vessels in the Navy. But when she was arraigned, the demand on recruiters was for ground pounders in the army. So, that's where she went. Reforms like her didn't really get a choice about where they went. I told her she was doing fine and not to worry. Once she got in it, things would be a lot easier for her mentally. 
That was all bullshit, by the way. It always grinds you up when people are shooting at you. You get used to it, I guess, but you never get used to it, if you know what I mean. Firefights were shockingly similar to Terracossi. When you get punched in the face, like when someone hits you with bad intentions, you will have an emotional reaction. Just like combat. When you're crawling on your stomach through blood and dirt, with blaster bolts shredding leaves and your comrades dying all around you, you will have an emotional reaction. But you get hit enough. You get in combat enough. It loses that control on you. You're less concerned with what's happening and more concerned with how to shoot back, to follow orders. Do what you've been trained to do. Stay low. Fall into the training. It just takes time and the right people helping you through it. Reinforcing those habits. Comes faster for some. I still got all knotted up in my guts when I took a pop on the chin. But since the Inquisitor died, Nothing in the Green Death had that same pull on me. I was a lot more at ease. I told Puenda some of the shit that the platoon had been through. Told her who was good to listen to, who wasn't. Gentala, she was hard, but fair. Hefspar, difficult to read, but great in combat. Kyra was a total dick, but great at his job, and had been nothing but brutal in combat. And, like Hefspar, stable, no matter what hit. But most of all, I told her the LT was never to be questioned. Chain of command, I know. No, I said. It was a lot more than that. He was one of the good ones. Like something off a hollow reel from when we were growing up. He was to be obeyed and had our loyalty to the end. Our watch finished and a few hours later we were packing up again. The weather that day had been just a damp mess. Not too cold, but definitely not warm. The dirt always felt wet when it was that cold. Got right into you. And the lack of breeze had the biters on full, flying around, taking chunks off anything that was exposed. The LT was holding court with the sergeants when he called the scouts over. The four of you will need to be sharp out there today. This area is hot. We're going into a nest, so even the walk-in will be dangerous. Expect traps and enemy observers. We put up a flag yesterday, and anyone nearby will be coming. I nodded and when I was entering the destination numbers into my bracelet, I kept thinking about the IED training we'd done. Improvised explosive devices. Mines, booby traps, they were awful. And whenever there was a well-worn path or a mining road, you needed to be extra vigilant or you or someone you liked would lose a leg, maybe worse. And most times, when an explosive went off, you'd come under immediate fire. 
It was just the starting gun of something worse. We were walking when Kyra sidled up close. You keep your eyes open out there. LT wasn't exaggerating. You see anything, you call him back on the encrypted channel, you hear? We nodded and kept going. Arkham gave me a wide-eyed expression as we slunk past the line. The rest of the platoon were finishing packing up, getting the tower ready for transport as to hit our new site on schedule. There was a lot of energy buzzing along with the critters. I remembered our first flyout, and that some of these kids were in the same headspace I had back then. Must have been brutal, because they knew there was a war going on right now. We were still a bunch of naive bumpkins. The new destination was deep in the valley. We saw the maps, there'd be non-stop overgrowth. Even our scan site was covered, it was on the edge of a plateau. The geological formation was a flat expanse, surrounded by gently sloping hills, but all of it was covered by trees and green. The soil was rocky and solid enough it wouldn't interfere with the tower's sensors. Also meant we'd be able to get a pretty clean signal out to any Imperial transport, if we needed it. It got dark as we went. It took a few hours, but the light faded faster in the bush. The going was slow, but we were doing our best to leave as little trace as possible, which made us move slower. There was a time you could hide your tracks, even in the jungle. And I suppose with the right kind of gear you still could, but the Empire wasn't forking out creds for that kind of kit. Not for a bunch of podunk mutters, anyway. See, no matter what we did, we would leave microscopic traces of our presence that a standard scanner could pick up. If the enemy had any basic military gear, and we tangled with these guys enough to know they did, and they were actually looking for us, they could and would find us. Even if we didn't break a single stem, or leave a single footprint. Our best hope was that there wasn't anyone actively hunting us, and therefore not breaking out any scanners. We stayed away from any semblance of a poacher's path too. I knew the LT wouldn't be taking any. He'd keep the troopers moving through the jungle in file formation to minimize their trail. The air was warm and humid. The vegetation was thick heavy trees, enormous fronds running up high, the undergrowth twice as tall as the average humanoid. A lot of peeds in the upper branches, their webbing slinking between the trunks. You'd see clusters of white silk cocoons, birds, and other things they trapped inside. The peeds stayed up high, and there hadn't been a single story of them tagging anyone. They were timid ambush predators but we knew how lethal their venom could be. You'd need meds within minutes or you were toast. Just kept going, watching them slithering and chattering around the branches. Gave me the creeps. One step after the other, eyes open. Peds, nothing. Seshers, that's the problem. I 
put back a full canteen before we finished the hike up to the plateau's edge. There was nothing there. Nothing unnatural, I mean. I could see why it was chosen for the tower site, though. A few large boulders created a quasi-perimeter and a defensible center within. We swept the area. Soil was damp. Would make for easy, but heavy digging. The rocks made me wonder how deep we'd be able to get, though. Still, the density of it meant it would hold up fairly well in a firefight and stick together if an explosive round went off close by. Flying shards of stone could kill just as easily as a blaster bolt. Arkham radioed back to the LT, saying the spot was clear, and then we held down. Grilled Quenda about the defensive capabilities of our position, where we were the most vulnerable, how best to come at it, what to watch for, all hush-hush, of course. Then, an explosion. Followed by blaster fire back in the trees. Something basic, an E-10, poor condition, multiple shots, then a vicious response. Those were our guns firing back, a torrent of plasma. Then silence. Do we go back? Negative. We hold here. Damn straight we held here. Scouts, is the site still secure? Sergeant Gentala on the encrypted channel? That was odd. We responded and kept an eye on where the disturbance had come from. Then, slowly but surely, the first file came through. Squad 4 with Jintala at the head. Then came the second. They had wounded. Four of them, one with their leg blown off. Vamo was beside them, back to Drip Satchel held high. Then I saw Murray. He was helping the LT, who had multiple score marks on his chest plate. Murray gave me a look as he went past. Shit was stirring, and I wondered how badly hurt the LT was. Despite the blip of chaos, we set up camp same as always. Triangular perimeter to optimize fields of fire, arrange the holes deep and staggered so we could fall back if needed. Basic stuff, but effective. There was a makeshift medical dugout within the circle. Vama and Husto were at work. Two of the walking wounded were now getting assessed by Kyra to see how combat effective they would be. No slouching tonight, I guess. Everything went up quick. Prefab panels, poles dug in, tarps thrown across. Scouts picked up shovels. We did our part. Got the dope on what happened in the process. Everyone talks when they dig. Was a mining charge. Rig like a grenade. Came in from nowhere. Then they opened fire as it blew. A droid. Old Separatist battle droid. Barely mobile. But it was so close. Targeted Orto. The LT was down, but he was still calling the shots. Well, Husto did everything he could for him. Guy was already on the wire when the tower went up. Murray was hopping channels, keeping our comm signature as greasy as possible. The sergeants were still business as usual, had everyone moving double, filling bags and stacking them. Gintala organized a bottle run. All the empty canteens went in a sack and Hefspar threw it over her shoulder while Mondi and I escorted her to a spring 50 meters away. That was a stressful gig. 
watching the tree line while she filled one bottle up after another. It took forever, and by forever I mean less than 20 minutes, but it's incredible how long that can be when you know shit's coming your way. They're gonna come at us from the plateau and press us. I need two eyes wide tonight. There's no evac coming until the watch is done, understood? Command doesn't want the enemy getting the impression their probe is successful. We hold until noon tomorrow. Hefspar didn't tell us this to rattle us or as a way of getting us on the page or anything. She knew we were already there. This was her ensuring we knew what the stakes were, what we needed to be ready for. Came back to a pockmarked line of outer foxholes with shallow run trenches leading back to two rows of deeper line trenches. Some of the boulders being used as brakes, adding to our defensive perimeter. That would actually give people cover to move around upright in the center of the circle, which wasn't a bad idea. Bama tossed me some stim tabs while we handed out canteens. I popped mine back between drags on my stick. Then Mondi and I went back to work with the rest, feeling the buzz of those tabs kick in. The lines were pretty near perfect when the LT came in on the platoon-wide channel a few minutes later. I want everyone, save grenadiers and mortars, divided up by our squad. Heavy gunners, be ready to scramble. Do your jobs and listen to your sergeants and you'll be fine. I did as ordered, went over to Jintala and fell in, was put in the forward hole with Targon. She had the Z6 mounted behind some sandbags on a swivel. We were facing east towards the plateau, exactly where Hefspar said they'd be coming from. There was another mutter with us, an FNG, human male, good looking guy. Terrible breath, though. We'd make him crawl out and check the D-charges every now and again. The D-charges are those explosives that blow in a wide arc. We used them on that Firepoint mission. It was habit to line the perimeter with them whenever you camped in for the night. It was nice having them out there. And since I was technically the ranking gun in our section, I had the detonator key synced into my bracelet. I doubled up on clips, too. Most of us did, taking everything out of my bag and triple-checked them on my charger, making sure I was kitted out. Time clicked by. Minutes, an hour. It was inky black under the canopy, and there was no chatter. You could hear the chittering of birds and lizards, buzzing of insects, things howling in the night. I'd fire up the night vision every now and again, do a deep scan with my scope, looking out into the foliage. There was movement, and you jump, aiming close and realizing it was just a big leaf or something. Two hours later, the wind really picked up, blowing in hard from the west. It came like walls of moving air, flat, forceful, even under the canopy. Strands of light would leak down from above. The sky was clear now, and the stars were everywhere. 
the wide band of the nebula bathing things in that subtle purple hue. The cream-colored light, the only visible moon laying down shadow. The new guy was peering out into our zone with his monoculars. 11 o'clock. They're coming around that boulder. I got on my scope. The guy was right. Two battle droids. One of them with only one arm. Heading right for us in that classic plodding gait. I called it in to Jintala. Before she responded, I counted two more coming around. Moving steady. A leapfrog. Their pace was picking up. Moving around obstacles. Way more agile than I'd expected. Take the shot. I lined up and fired. Took the first one down with a clean impact on its shoulder. The others broke into a full sprint, firing as they came. I shot again, then again. They both went down, one shot each. I was peering through my scope, and then the other foxhole right beside me opened up. The bush was coming alive with clankers. I set the semi-auto and fired three times at the approaching droid. Hit twice. It was scrapped. There's more closer! Two o'clock! She spun up the Z6 and started tearing into the vegetation. The light showed more than just a few droids. There were dozens in terrible condition, some with ad hoc limbs, not functioning anywhere near what you'd seen seven years earlier during the Clone Wars, but well enough to pick us off. And behind them, crouched low and carrying blaster rifles, Seshers. Vague shapes in the dim glow of the blaster light. They were out 75 meters, and you could only see them in the rare gaps of foliage, using the droids as a screen. I saw one of them taking pot shots at our line. I got one burst off, and then had to duck down. The clankers were leaning on the triggers. Heavy fire, no sign of slowing. I was ducked down when our mortars went off. Saw them go, that dim, spooky spark. Not something you'd notice in the daylight, but in the darkness, under the trees, yeah, it was there. A second after that first explosion, I rolled back into position and popped up to shoot, then dropped back down almost immediately. The enemy fire was still coming. It had slowed, the mortar rounds thinned the ranks, the droids were tracked in on their targets. Us. I only got a second to glimpse what was happening. Targon did the same. Popped up, followed by a... Oh, shit! Then she slid back down beside me, pulling her Z6 with her. Mortars went off again. And again we tried to come up. The droids and the seshers behind them continuing to fire. Someone give us some ammo! This time I managed to take a few wild shots. And I'd like to think I tagged some of those seshers in the rear, but who knows? Get down! Tolan rolled out from the boulder to our left and fired a timed rocket at the still approaching enemy. It whizzed past and went off with a blast of incendiary plasma. It did two things. Cooked a lot of seshers, you could hear the screams, and also sparked a few fires which gave us light to bear down on anyone approaching. The mortars kicked in again from behind. Loved those things, so great on defense. And when they went off, I popped up again. 
Targon mounting her Z6 again. We needed to establish a dominant field of fire, suppress the enemy, make them scared to advance. Which was difficult when facing an enemy that didn't have fear programmed into their mind. I was suddenly gaining a lot more respect for the cloners and anyone else who fought the Separatists and their unending ranks of droids. I saw shadows in the firelight and aimed roughly, didn't focus in, didn't study what they were doing, just fired at anything moving. Targon spat out more plasma on the Z6 and we began clearing our fields of fire. Blaster bolts flying past. I kicked the new guy to get up and fire, but he was laying there slouched forward, facing the dirt. Maybe hurt, maybe passed out, which happened. I called for a medic, but knew with our forward position that was an iffy prospect at best. I called again when a heavy barrage of e-web fire came out of the bushes. I dropped, and so did Targon, but not before her Z6 got hit and sent a shard of metal flying across her face. It cut deep, and she held up her hand to stop the bleeding. The fire was still overhead, and it was hard getting to the aid kit on my thigh. She was squirming and grimacing and muttering a steady stream of vulgarity. She pulled off her helmet, and I sprayed foam across her cheek, close to her eye. A lot of bleeding. Then I wrapped her up in a bandage to keep her right eye clear so she could still shoot. I motioned for her to fall back, crawl along the shallow dugout to the line of deeper foxholes behind us, which was where most of our defense was situated. I shook the collapsed FNG beside us and he didn't respond, so I grabbed his leg to drag him along with us. And when he rolled over, the front half of his skull slid off spilling the contents within to the bottom of the foxhole. I dropped his foot. Targon grabbed his E-11 and we scuttled back. Then we climbed into the foxhole at our rear, although fell into would be a more apt term, trying to stay as low as possible and avoid the enemy fire. Then that E-web started going off. Of course they had an E-web. Well-aimed shots coming in five-second bursts, waving back and forth over our line, moving in between the large clusters of rock that served as a border of our arc of fire. I looked over and saw Tolan with his assistant tucked in against one of the boulders ahead of us. The kid was popping her head out, one side, then the other, and feeding info to Tolan, who was programming his rockets, setting them for ranged charges. Another E-Web further to my right lit up. It was targeting another section of the line. Saw the carnage was just as heavy over there. And the droids were in a lot closer. But the enemy was too reliant on using those heavy guns from a distance. The foot soldiers advancing weren't being given enough supportive fire, which was a poor tactical decision. They needed to move in closer to have any shot of keeping us down. Hit us hard and fast, but they weren't. Made me wonder if we were dealing with more slave soldiers, prisoners forced to fight or be killed. Tolan popped out and fired off another rocket. 
and the whole trench came up in sync the second it went off. Even Targon, her face a bandaged mess of blood and ooze. We all had a good idea where the E-Web was, but neither our fire or the rocket took it out, and it kicked up again, tearing into the boulder Tolan was using as a shelter. He was already prepping his next round. Shards of stone flew everywhere, shrapnel coming at pace, burying itself into the mud. Someone had gotten in close enough to lob a grenade at us. It went off, sending a wave of juice over the trench. It was a stunner. These guys were clearly trying to take the tower intact. Not just blow it up. Two mutters in the foxhole ahead and to the left went down. They were too slow on the drop. I was tucked in a ball and slammed the button on the decharges. They made a lot of noise. Heard a few screams from outside the line, and they were set to blow half and half, meaning I had another six out there ready to go. When we came up to shoot again, I looked over and saw Tolan was twitching. He took that stun clean, no barrier. His assistant was going though. Kit looked dazed, but she was already loading another rocket in with one hand. Half of her body was still fried from the stun. Another grenade plopped in. We dropped. But she took aim and fired. Heard the whoosh right as the stunner went off. Tolan's junior grenadier aimed and fired rather than shelter herself which is exactly what the LT expected from us. Even though I briefly wondered if her brain would work proper afterwards. The rocket blew in a massive fireball. Saw the bluish hue of a generator blast. It hit the E-Web's power core. I had just rolled over to see the top of the blast clearing the tree line. The forest ahead of us was pulp now, which happened pretty quick when the hardwood trees were sparse. I popped up and opened fire. More enemy advancing, not many, but they were firing wild, just pointing and running. I'd seen it before in poorly made hollow productions, but this, this was just cannon fodder running to slaughter. And that's what it became, a slaughter. The mortars were still falling steady to my right, and they tagged that other E-Web. And another blue fireball made its way into the air. It looked like the Seshers threw everything into that initial assault. The plan being to surprise and overwhelm us. It didn't work. Our defense chewed them up. While the rest of the trench line was clearing up the mess ahead and to the sides, shooting anything that still moved, I slithered through the dirt, the advanced foxhole, where I started out. It had a wider field of view, and we needed eyes up front in case there was another wave inbound. 
The Duraweave bagging had partially collapsed when one of the stun grenades blew, but I peered out. It wasn't up too high. Didn't know if any seshers were still watching. Then I slid my rifle out ahead of me, slow, subtle, taking in the sounds. Calls for medics. Groans from out front. Can we get some back down over here? There were even droids chattering. I peered down my scope and saw the blown out barrel of that e-web that dug into our line. I needed to find the other one too, one further to my right, make sure it was scrap. Yes, it looked like the assault was done, and really, I was pretty positive they'd been turned back. But what if that second e-web was still functioning? The blue explosion was just a ruse. They wanted us feeling safe, wanted us to pop up. Then they opened up again. That's what I would do. One e-web in the right place could shred us by the dozen. I was still scanning, peering as best I could through the tree line, looking for any sign of that second gun. But near some trees, I saw a figure tucked low, wedged near a small rock, small clusters of plasma-fueled flames burning idly. The body isn't what caught my eye. It was the barrel of a DC-15 heavy blaster rifle, the kitted-out version given to the Mark I clones. I had a thing for that gun since I was a kid. I'd spent my childhood in love with it and had been tinkering with one when I was working at the range back at Vibus, which is why it stood out against the vegetation. At first, I thought it was in the hands of some dead schmuck, but then it moved. Not a jerky move either, scanning side to side. I sat there watching, not moving, letting the wind blow the leaves and grass, flames dancing ahead of me. I didn't have a good shot. All I could see was their forearm. So I backtracked, took a look at where the rest of the body should be. The blaster fire behind me was sparse, all but dead. And if this shooter was an observer, they'd be gone soon. Needed to bring them down now. I zoomed in closer on their arm, fiddled with the scope trying to get a better look with the light of the fires throwing my vision for a loop. Didn't matter, I was taking the shot. Set the rifle to single fire, upping the penetrative power. I had one shot, one. Slowed my breath. Heard the foliage dance in the breeze above me. Everything faded. The scope, that was my universe. That was my everything. Another breath. The hand fell limp, and the rifle dropped. I shot again, and again, slightly off where I'd aimed before. I laid still, glaring down the scope, but reached for my comms, encrypted channel direct to the big man. I told him what happened, that I wanted to confirm my kill, emphasizing that this one was different. I knew this one was different. Hold quiet, wait for the perimeter to be secured. I kept my eye on that forearm, the one thing I was still able to see. Slowly, 
but surely the blaster fire came to a halt in the south and north flank. It was silent for a few minutes. I heard people checking in on the comms. Picked up through the chatter that our mortarman from the 4th, Private Tar, was taking credit for bringing down that other E-Web. At least I knew not to worry about that anymore. Even still, I wasn't moving. Not a chance. Whoever was out there with that DC-15 was mine. Corporal Kwai, I'm sending you an observer. You're clear to proceed with confirmation. I heard some rustling behind me, and Sergeant Kyra slid up at my side. All right, let's take a look. We moved out past the tree line through the scorched earth, bodies strewn over toppled shrubs, the stink of burning flesh and that weird aroma of leaking droid lubricant. Kyra jumped when a droid grabbed his leg and shot it five times. Came past that first E-Web and realized how much of an impact that rocket had. When this generator went, it took out the entire group of Seshers. Look. He fanned his arm across, drawing my eye to the many mangled corpses standing nearby. Twenty of them. Easy. Must have been making ready to charge. Or run. I don't know. What a mess. I was still watching the DC-15, worried that I'd turn my eyes for a second and the observer would be gone. But they hadn't moved. And when I came close, I saw why. I hit them three times. One shot right in the neck below the helmet. The other two were direct hits on the torso. The armor had eaten them. If not for that one shot right below the helmet, I wouldn't have done anything more than win them. Lucky shots, kid. Good, but lucky. The sergeant moved the brush around, then looked back at where I shot from. You shot through this stuff? Really lucky. He kneeled down by the body while I scanned for movement, removed the enemy helmet. It was a cloner. It was always so eerie seeing the LT's face on another body, a face I'd seen on countless hollows since I was a kid. The guy's skin was dirty, shaggy hair and a beard. Behind his ear were two cloner's dozen tattoos. The fires were still burning, and with the wind, I needed to throw on my respirator mask just to keep from choking on the smoke. I looked away, didn't want to see the body anymore. I started to feel sick, and took a knee to change out the clip in my rifle. I only had a few shots left, and if we did come under fire, I wanted to be ready. I was also just looking for something to distract myself. When I shifted my knee to the side, it bumped into something. A portable hollow projector. Ordinarily, this is something I'd assume was a booby trap, but it was sitting right there, beside the body, like it had fallen from his hands. And it was already showing an image, a hollow in progress. I could hear muffled audio and specks of projection, but the emitter was filled with dirt. Gave it a shake picture cleared up along with the sound. It was that sniper, again, the prisoner, the one the raiders sprung from Vibus. She was talking to some trooper, human, no shirt, tied to a tree, maybe a post, something. The hollow was still shaking. No, no, don't close your eyes. 
Don't falter now, boy. Guy was wearing mutters for tees. He was one of us. You lose your eyelids if you do that again. I want you to watch this. We only have three toes left. The mutter struggled as she came in close with a vibroblade. Right on his face. Three. Then it's over. A lesson learned for treading where you're not welcome. Sergeant flipped it off. We should get this to the LT. I nodded because I didn't know what to say. I didn't want to say anything. I already felt sick. This just made it worse. Like the wind was just sucked out of my sails and sucked out again. The sergeant looked at me, then looked back over at the clone, and pulled the DC-15 out of their dead hands. Here. You were at the armory back at Vibris, right? Get this clean and primed. Consider it a souvenir. A lot of collectors out there looking for these. We just reached the front foxhole when I heard the hum of lardies coming in from up high. I guess our tower duty was being cut short. Who is that sniper? And was she responsible for the bodies outside the wire? How dangerous will these tower missions get? And how will the lieutenant react when he learns it was one of his clone brothers who led the assault on their position? That's next time on Episode 19, Roku Wrote a Mine. Thank you for joining me this week on Fearless Fred Presents Mud 79, a Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you haven't already, Make sure you follow the show so you'll never miss an episode. While you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps grow the show and will make my contemptible harpy of a producer very happy. We're available for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and wherever else you get your favorite streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information and a full listing of Mud 79's cast. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at fearless underscore Fred or email me at mud79 at curiouscast.ca. This show is hosted and written by me, Fred Kennedy, and Dila Velasquez, the Harpy, our producer. Sound design is by moi and final production is by Rob Johnson. I'll see you next week for more Mud 79. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.